0: episode we're going to be discussing the Babylon 5 Season 5 episode, Darkness Ascending. Very apt title, because everything is kind of going to crap for literally everyone, and there's this sense of growing dread and darkness coming, that everything... Uh, built over the past few seasons could very well crumble down on top of everyone, not only for some people personally, in the case of Garibaldi, but in the case of Londo and Sheridan and Delyn, on a literal political scale. Uh, so, l- let's talk about the leader stuff. Uh, in a, let, Let's do the first bit, which is with Garibaldi. Um, I have a question. Do you think... Leta was actually there, uh, and if so, how much influence over Garibaldi's dream did she have? Personally, I think she is, uh, I don't think she was actually in the room. I think she was testing how far her abilities could reach. We know that because the Vorlons changed her, she doesn't necessarily need eye contact or, you know, line of sight. Uh, to use her telepathy. So maybe she's testing the range of it. And she was just in Garibaldi's dream. Uh, because Garibaldi's dream is very apropos to his current situation, I don't think she was influencing it. Uh, maybe she was nudging it to be a bit more harsher than it already was. Who knows? But uh, there's a very clear sense of she's done. Basically, she is going to use her powers... As much as she wants because she is done she is fed up everything that happened with Byron and all this stuff has turned her into a full radical and she is using her power not only as a flaunt to say yeah, this is what I can do I'm special, but also as a warning don't get in my way uh, and but we still see that there's some glimpses of a morality still there in her, no matter all the trauma she has witnessed, you know, experienced, and horror she has witnessed, um, when she approaches Jakar, uh, which is a brilliant callback to the gathering, of saying, you once asked me for my DNA to breed, uh, you know, telepaths in the Narn people, I accept your offer from, you know, all those years ago. Um... Dracar brilliantly tests her uh, by saying, uh, you know, I talked with my government. They're, they're, they're willing to go ahead with this deal as long as you follow the stipulation that you spy on our neighbors, basically giving us information that we could use uh, either for blackmail or political reasons, what have you. And she denies it. She's like, nope, I will have to renege on our deal. I will not do it. Uh, That's a line I will not cross, and it was entirely Jakar testing her, Uh, because, as he says, I need to know how desperate you are, Uh, because as we see at the beginning, she is trying to beg this businessman, please let us have an Explorer-class vessel, we will help you explore the cosmos, Um, uh, telepaths could be useful, but we need... Uh, we, we just need a way out. We need a new home. And bureaucracy and business keep getting in the way of, uh, you know, the insurance deal would be a problem and their contract with the core would be a problem. Uh, and so she's kind of desperate for a way off Babylon 5 for her and the remainder of B- uh, Byron's telepaths and any other telepaths that are fleeing the Corps uh, and in uh, wanting to... Finish Byron's vision of a new homeworld. But desperation, you know, can breed weakness. Uh, because if you're willing to take any deal, regardless of how demeaning or morally reprehensible it is, you're too desperate, you're too backed into the corner, which means that you're willing to compromise literally all yourself for one goal. And that is not a healthy business mindset. Uh, and Jakar knows it, and Jakar knows that if he goes along with this deal, if she reneges on this deal, um, you know, uh, and betrays him or the Narn in some capacity because she's so desperate for her homeworld, then she cannot be trusted. And he wants to trust her, he wants to believe in her, and he wants Narn telepaths again. So... There has to be a sense of understanding. She is desperate. She needs your help, but she's not too desperate to go behind your back. It was a brilliant test on Jakarta's half. Uh, And I like how Lita says, there is still a part of me here, you know, uh, there's a line I will not cross you know as radical as she has been made because of everything that happened with Byron, she's still that leader that we always knew underneath that leader who has been uh you know taken by the Vorlons abused by the Vorlons uh taken by the Corps, abused by the Corps, but still has her independent streak and is um cares deeply about the telepath cause uh but not so so far that it hasn't completely warped her. Not yet, anyway. Uh, now, Garibaldi gets confronted um, quite well by Elise, uh, and it goes about as uh, miserable as you expect it to go. So, he's got a dream, which I said I'm not sure if it, uh, it was influenced by Lita. Um, I think she was just observing it, where basically his subconscious mind is telling him you are not in control of this. You are fucking up. You need to deal with this. Um, which is everything he tells Lee is that I'm not in control. So this is the one thing I control. And just like I said, it's a, it's a. Uh, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy when it comes to alcoholics of they can't control their life, so they turn to the booze because it's the only thing that makes them feel comfortable, makes them feel like they're in control, but of course they can't control it, and it goes out of whack, and it gets in, turns into a really massive problem. And that's where Garibaldi's at, is his subconscious, just like I pointed out last time, you know, him ordering the suicide pizza, he's kind of trying to, his subconscious is trying to tell him, you're basically killing everything in your life at this point. You're throwing your entire life that you have built over these past few years away for what? For the drink. And uh, his uh, his dream, literally, Babylon 5 is on fire. Uh, his friends are dying. They were depending on him, and he let them down. Uh, and so his dream is trying to tell him This is your fault. And it quite literally becomes that when he sees himself be the murderer. Uh, And it's all trying to tell him, wake up, get some help. And then Lee shows up at the perfect time to force him to get help. But of course, him being the classic addict, the classic alcoholic, what he does is he basically does a performance. He is simultaneously hostile, saying, you know, I have no control over my life and this is the only thing I can control. It's my only act of rebellion. But he also is very kind and sweet to Lee at the same time. It's that backlash of emotions that basically forces uh, people who confront addicts to be thrown off their game and not be able to uh, argument well. It's a, it's the classic attic defense. We saw this with Franklin a couple seasons back. Uh, this is very classic addict behavior. Uh, he even says, you know, uh, you know, I, I can handle it. You know, it's something he knows deep down he can't handle, but he's refusing to acknowledge that he can't handle it. Uh, and of course, he pours the drink out. Uh, which feels like a performance of, see, see, I got it all in control. I don't need the alcohol. But in truth, he's showing every sign that he does. And even when he's at the restaurant, which there's another thing I want to talk about in that restaurant, uh, when he uh, he's like, you know, this is supposed to be a kind, calm place. We're supposed to have a romantic evening. You know, why do I feel like I want to blow my brains out? And she's like, you tell me. Because she knows very well he ain't in control she's seen this behavior before long before the show started back when they were together on mars so she's seen this cycle before she knows it she is giving him the chance to fix himself until and if he doesn't she's going to force his hand it is the way of dealing with an addict i have seen this many 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 times and it is a horrible situation to be in on both sides you have someone who is desperate who's calling for help but doesn't want it and is pushing you away and conflicting your emotions and you have someone else who desperately wants to help in uh, and care for this person but is being pushed away and at many times uh you know verbally abused to continue that push away now, the scene in the restaurant, the Fresh Air restaurant, which, by the way, I like how with the uh, the callback to the gathering and then seeing the Fresh Air restaurant, which we really haven't seen since season one, uh, that uh, it, it, it gives that, uh, you know, feeling of things are coming back, you know, that uh, coming back around that this is the beginning of the end. Uh, and... Uh, that things circle about, that uh, there's narrative loops here, and uh, that's that's the thing about life, is it cycles through, it goes through loops. Uh, and so that's a nice little touch. But anyway, the scene with the maitre d' is really awesome, because not only is it very in keeping with Garibaldi in his current state as an addict, but it's also pulled from Jameis' own personal experience. Uh, he's talked about it in various interviews, um, is uh basically during his journalist days, uh, he uh ended up getting invited to this conference. It took place in this very famous restaurant, uh, very fancy restaurant that presidents have been at. Like, this is big, this is a big deal. And he's sitting there, and he and the guy, the you know, the waiter, the maitre d or whatever, comes by, asks, What do you want to drink? And he says, coffee. And the waiter goes, "Um, no, 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 sir. I understand. Coffee after, uh, you know, the meal. What what do you want to drink? He's like, coffee. No, 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 no. What do you want to drink? And it's because they, they want an answer of alcohol, specifically wine, because that is what is expected in such a high society place. But JMS is not that kind of person. He grew up poor. You know, he, this is a completely alien place to him. And, and all he wanted was just a goddamn, you know, pot of coffee. Uh, and basically he blew up the waiter uh, and uh, got his coffee. Uh, and so that that is seen with some slight changes for Garibaldi's character and the alcoholic part uh, It's a nice reference to Jameis' own personal experience, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, now, the uh, Lanier bit. Uh, I like how, basically, Lanier does the right thing for the wrong reasons, once again, pulling from that, that, that he learned nothing from the example of Findel. Uh, you know sheridan calls back uh the white star because he finds out what delin did behind his back which leads to a funny scene which i'll get to in a minute and lanier takes a fighter and just you know goes off rogue um and it's because you notice he does it after he asks who gave the order and montoya says president sheridan it's because He, in his mind, he's in a rivalry with Sheridan to prove who is the better person for uh, Delenn. And so Sheridan calling them back is, in his mind, the wrong idea, uh, won't get them the information. So it proves Sheridan's at fault. If he goes and gets the information, it proves that he was in the right. Basically, his white knight syndrome, his devotion, his absolute ridiculous love for uh, Delenn is basically in full force and causing him to make incredibly irrational, stupid decisions, and yet he was the right move because it gets them the necessary evidence to bring forward to the council and bring the ISA back together and hopefully not fracture. Uh, speaking of the uh, entire situation uh, with Delenn not telling Sheridan, I like how JMS cleverly. Uh, brings in your classic husband and wife marital a fight and shifts it into a political lens. So they're lying to each other about everything that went on with uh, uh, sending the White Star out to the, the century border and then recalling back uh, and the, the the political ramifications of that. Uh, and basically they're having a husband and wife marital fight. Uh, and D'Lynn, because, you know, in a in classic fights, usually the wife is always right. You know, that's just an accepted thing. Uh, Even if the man or the husband is you know, correct on a logical scale, it's just always accepted. You you acknowledge the guy is wrong. Basically. Uh, And in this case, (laughs) Dylan says, "Oh yeah, you were right," and then just turns the argument around on him, blaming him, and he's amused by that. It's actually quite a clever scene, where it uses tensions, uh, on a political and marital scale, to provide a nice bit of comedy as well as some seriousness in it. And uh, you know, following uh, that bit, I you know just going into the the Lando section. Uh, that bit where Delenn finds out that the linear is okay, he survived, uh, and she walks out of the, uh, the room, she's both laughing out of, you know, just pure joy, elation, and she's crying out of pure terror and, uh, understanding. And she goes and she hugs Londo and says, I fear this is not something we'll be able to do much longer, uh, and I've never done this before. Uh, and Lando's confused. It's because Londo's out of the loop and everybody knows that everything's about to, you know, hit the fan. Darkness is ascending. Everything is going downhill. Even the Centauri are, believe, you know, basically under drop control, obviously. Saying, oh, don't believe anything that Sheridan and Co. send their way. They're just trying to, you know, pigeonhole us. We are the victims of a witch hunt. Uh, and blah, 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 blah. And basically... What, what you have uh, is Delyn going, I, I'm so happy my friend is alive, but I'm so sad that we just found out that you are about to be blamed for every miserable thing that has happened the past few months. And I am so, 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 so sorry, because I know you had nothing to do with it. And that is the sad thing. And, of course, Londo can see this coming. Um, and he's trying to get the Centauri to stop being aggressive about it, saying, you know, if they have the facts, we got to listen. Uh, and then he's being, you know, left out of the meetings. Everybody knows this is going to hit the fan. And as Garibaldi says, you know, if things go wrong, we're going to be at war with the Centauri by tomorrow. So this is the beginning of the end for the isa if things don't go correctly either uh you know the isa breaks apart or some serious lingering issues uh are going to uh remain and perhaps the isa will be less effective uh and you know the centauri are ultimately responsible granted it's, they're under drop control. But they are the convenient target. Everybody's scared of the Centauri. After what they did back in Season 2, they returned to the old warmongering ways and wiped, you know, places out thanks to the strength of the shadows. That basically, that makes them the easy target, as I pointed out last episode. And as a result of that, everybody is scared of them. And this... Becomes a way for retribution to the, for them to get payback by isolating the Centauri and the Centauri are already isolating themselves So this can pretty much only go one way and I think you know which way that goes considering we've seen the future We've seen Centauri Prime on fire. We know what way this is going and uh, Yeah, this is this is a bit where the ISA either has to put up or shut up uh, Or things are gonna get really really bad Anyway, see you next time, bye.